I V M. The Inheritors Podcast Series by Bloomberg Quint. I am Sonu Bhasin, and you are listening to The Inheritors, a podcast series that covers all aspects of family businesses. Today, I'm in conversation with Desmond Nazareth, who is the managing director of Agave India. You may be surprised to know that agave is a plant that gives us tequila. Desmond uses agave to make the Indian equivalent of tequila. But he actually started off as a software developer and then, as he says, stumbled into the world of alcohol. It is a fascinating story and let us go right across to sunny Goa and find out more from Desmond Nazareth. You kind of wandered into Goa after your stints in the U.S., uh can you just take us through your journey of reaching goa ultimately uh where do you want me to start because i start, my journey starts off in india right uh, and then goes uh, goes to the us and comes back where do, where would you like me to start actually a good point to start would be uh how you actually were one of the few people who started work who first discovered that there was going to be a problem in y2k and that there was an, a huge opportunity in software development around y2k and you yeah. were among the first few people who started work on it uh don't you start from there sure sure yeah so roughly in 1984 i decided to take a break from my filmmaking studies and so on uh, which i had gone to the us for after finishing engineering in iit madras i'll just give you a little brief prehistory so no uh, i was studying science and engineering here in india in the late 70s and then decided it was not going to be a good thing for me to jump right into a technical life because my interests are quite wide and i wanted some exposure and some experience in the humanities and arts as well so i applied for film scholarships at the masters level in the us and i was very lucky to win a full scholarship to go and study in an mfa degree program at temple university in philadelphia in 81 and after i went there in roughly 1984 or so i i had uh, got my fill of a whole variety of film and tv production and theory and so on and i decided that given the options available then i would come back to it only when i didn't need to earn a living from it so i looked for another field to work in and i chose computer software which was an emerging field at that time and decided to learn it from scratch from the to the extent that i didn't even know what a keyboard looked like and i had to learn every key on a computer keyboard but i soon found myself uh, very good at software and was interested in doing challenging things so one of the challenging problems given to me by the organization that hired me which was a technology bank called mellon bank was a problem that had been bothering their experts for a while and they said please dig into this old system which runs an installment loan portfolio and see if you can find out where there's a mo- how a monetary leak is happening we've already lost half a million dollars or so so in digging into this ancient program that had been written 25 years earlier i discovered that the problem was uh, a, within a week i discovered the problem as a year overflow situation for a 15 year instruments and what was happening is that because there were two digit years in the data a calculation was which was a late charge calculation was overflowing and all the late charge income was not being collected because they thought 
the, the system thought that payments were coming early since the years had rolled over. And uh, having discovered this problem, I uh, realized uh, after talking to the management of this bank that they wanted a quick fix, a quick fix which would break again in about 15 years. This was in 1986. So uh, I suggested some more complicated fixes which would fix the system once and for all, but it required interfaces to be dealt with and so on. It became a little complicated and costly and they asked me to do the quick fix. And then I said, well, what are you going to do about all the other dates in this financial system and other financial systems you run, which will overflow in the year 2000 at various points before the year 2000, depending on the kind of calculation. And they said, that's somebody else's problem. So that's when I recognized that I had an opportunity of an incredible kind with, with a fixed deadline of the year 2000. And I proceeded to develop based on my the solutions I'd come up with uh, a software toolkit system, which could do find and fix kind of operations on legacy software, typically written in COBOL. So that led to my involvement in the Y2K problem. And I ended up being on the front line of Y2K, not just in the US, but also uh, in many other parts of the world. And somewhere around 92, I had come to India and I was, uh, yeah, 92, I came to India and I was trying to talk to Indian software companies that were just beginning to get into the game, companies like Wipro, Infosys, etc. And I, w- I was trying to find a partner who could use my tool set that I had developed in the US and provide uh, teleservices to companies around the world to fix the Y2K problem because people there was going to be a great need for people in addition to tools and a, uh, a service, if you will. And I was lucky to have Wipro as a partner for about eight years. Uh, they reluctantly got on board, but later on ended up uh, being one of the first companies care of my, my work in the U.S., getting into the game of fixing systems, legacy systems in the U.S., so they were my partners until the year 2000. And in the year 2000, when it came around, I decided, okay, enough is enough. Now I'm done with software. I managed to create some IP and uh, leverage it and do some exciting stuff globally. And I came back to India with the notion that now I retired kind of uh, and came back with the notion that I would do some interesting things in India in the field of film and TV and also some social service kind of activities uh, I, I came with the idea of starting five projects in India. And uh, one of the first projects that I chose was to make an international film based on Salman Rushdie's book, which was uh, Harun and the Sea of Stories, which I thought was very going to be a very interesting project because I had been, I wanted uh, animators from around the world in hiding uh, to make various sequences for this film. Uh, which was going to be computer animated and for Salman Rushdie to direct it in from hiding because at that time the fatwa had been issued and he was in hiding. Uh, unfortunately, that that project fell through and then I was left with a hole in my five project bucket which got filled by a chance observation when I was trying to uh, fill my bar, home bar in Bombay with various products uh, with which to make cocktails that, that the observation was that tequila, which was this well-known international spirit was made in just one country. So I 
was puzzled by that because I couldn't find tequila in Bombay at that time. And I was uh, walking back home one day after finding a bottle with great difficulty that was extremely high priced. I, I decided to research this because I couldn't figure out why it was just made in one country, unlike all the other spirits that I knew. In researching it, one of the first things that I saw was uh, some pictures of the plant. And this was freely available on the internet. And I said, gosh darn it, I think I've seen these plants growing in India when I was traveling around with my father and family uh, as he was building radio stations around the country. He worked as an engineer for All India Radio. And uh, I could not remember where I had seen them because, so I did some basic research uh, looking at very basic parameters like latitudes where agave grow in Mexico and I found those latitudes passing right through central India. Then I looked at things like the soil, which happened to be volcanic in the Deccan Plateau, uh, and uh, temperature, rainfall, and there was almost a perfect match on the Deccan Plateau, which I had crisscrossed by train many times in my youth as uh, I traveled around with my family. So this was before I left India, obviously. And that made me very excited, and I just thought it would be great if I could find some samples of, uh, of this of this particular plant to experiment and see if I could make an agave spirit of a quality that would, you know, equal or better what was made in Mexico that I had been drinking in the U.S. when I lived there. Yeah, so, so uh, you know, what strikes me is that uh, this opportunity as well just came about because you uh, happened to... Uh, uh, think through and discover an opportunity that the others hadn't. Y2K also, you said you stumbled across. And right. Agave as well, you stumbled across. You're an engineer by uh, training and by studies. Uh, but discovering opportunities which others don't see is very entrepreneurial in nature. So, how, how, you know, in your opinion, do does this structured study and this creative field of entrepreneurship, do they go together? Yeah, I, I think it is very individualistic, uh, individualistic uh, you know, uh, this whole notion of creativity, entrepreneurship, and uh, I guess technical abilities. I am lucky in that my life uh, turned out this way in that, my interests are extremely wide and I, I always sort of keep an eye open for interesting opportunities just from early childhood because uh, as we travel around the country, I had to keep finding new things in new places all the time. And my we don't come from a business family. My father was a techno uh, technical person and we, re, we had some one bad experience at, the, at my grandfather's level in business and there was a bias against anybody in the family doing business. So it was not like I was looking for business opportunities. I just like, I'm the kind of person who uh, likes to grapple with any question that comes my way and find answers uh, just because I am a self learner, uh, you know, and I, if I can't find a ready answer, if I don't have a story that makes sense to me, then I dive into things further. So as far as business opportunities, I wasn't looking at these things as business opportunities, but as an opportunity to answer a question that I felt there was no ready-made answer to. So some of these ended up being business opportunities and I was forced into business both for Y2K and for in this alcohol thing because there, were no, there was nobody willing to take on the business aspect of it. So it was a forced move for me. 
but in terms of being prepared mentally and creatively to dive in and to do the hard work i always take ownership of any idea that i come up with meaning i am the default doer for that idea so i get an idea i research it i try to do models prototypes whatever i test it out and then i say oh here's a great opportunity if it's still still there and it, it's it's still viable and i look for people to uh, work with but typically i don't find anybody because these are cra- they seem to be crazy ideas to most people and because they are often way, way ahead of their time or they are not you know com- common place so people say who else is doing this and then you say nobody and then people get a little worried uh, i remember the software companies being worried that nobody was doing anything and i said well that's precisely why there's an opportunity if people were doing things there there would not be an opportunity the same with the alcohol they said hey, if agave is available in india why am why aren't people using it to make you know agave spirits and i said i have no idea you know it's been around for at least 100 or 200 or 300 years and nobody seems to be doing anything about it so let me do something about it so that's how i get ideas that's how i sort of develop them and then eventually i'm forced into doing a business around them yes so i think that's a huge learning opportunity for a lot of people you don't come from a business background but we have a lot of second generation and third generation family business owners who uh, who are set to inherit new businesses but uh, uh, they really don't need to scrounge around and look for money so what advice could you give them where they have the opportunity to explore ideas and they you know there may be some fears that keep them away what advice could you give them to go beyond what they're doing and actually go around look for new ideas that the world needs yeah i think now in the age of the internet and global communications the information flows are so rapid and fast i mean uh, so easily available you can research just about anything by getting on the net and by then calling up or writing to experts or people who are involved in things uh, now uh, in today's world i'd say uh, people who are already in a position to do so let's say they are second th- third generation business families the youngsters have probably got a fairly good education and are uh, have access all of us have equal access at some level to information so by you know looking either opportunities come by or questions remain unanswered and people says they they can do the same thing research it dive into it look for reports look for things in a way that i could not do with the y2k but i could do with the agave story and the agave india story uh, that that particular transition uh you know coincided with the growth of the internet and the growth of these amazing databases worldwide so in a sense one was pre internet and one was post internet now i would advise people who uh, young people uh, in business families who don't need to worry about startup funds unlike me i had to worry about startup funds to just take any idea that seems like any question that comes their way any opportunity that appears interesting to them and then explore it i mean spend some money spend some time dive a little deeper into it and and check it out for potential and look for things there are so many things now that can that we can do in india with indian raw material indian uh uh, uh indian talent if you will uh, that that can be taken to the world uh, things ideas that come 
it's kind of like an uh, you know the the original exchange that happened uh, with the discovery or rather the landing of people in the new world in a large way the colombian exchange where all kinds of fruits and vegetables and technologies moved from the old world to the new world and the new world to the old world by the way the agave uh, agaves came through this colombian exchange now we have this exchange of ideas and and opportunities we can people can do, who travel a lot can look at and see what's going on in other parts of the world in simple areas like handling of garbage or handling of you know wastewater so many so many things there are so many innovations that have happened in little pockets around the world that people who travel abroad and some of these business family second third generation probably travel a lot because they have the means they can look for these things and see what application it might have to the indian situation and then start exploring put some money and effort and energy into it i suspect a good 5 10 ideas will come in the next 5 to 10 years through this process Hey, this is Shiladitya. And I'm Amit Doshi. And we host Shunya One. It's a really fun podcast where we talk to some of the best entrepreneurs in the country. Yes, talking about everything from their startup challenges to what they're building and all the future of technology right here. So catch us on the IVM podcast website app or wherever you listen to your podcast from. You also talked about uh, the fact that uh, you know you can reach out to people, you can uh, get a lot of information from people. That also you kind of put it in this cloud of helpfulness that hovers around you. Do you yes. want to talk a little more about that? About cloud of helpfulness and how you keep feeding and keep taking away from it? Yeah. So one of the things that has really benefited me is uh, the extensive. network of people i've had through the various uh places i've lived in the kind of uh areas that i have explored whether it's filmmaking software alcohol and the the the, the universities and uh institutes that i studied in is that uh, there was an ex- amazing network already that i had which which when i started tapping for information and and contacts was extraordinarily uh useful to me in many ways so if i didn't know some somebody in a certain field i would ask people and i would get connections i would follow through with every single suggestion made i believe that most of my projects develop because i i started feeling empowered through the connections that i made through this uh network if you will the cloud of helpfulness that i encountered and it's not just one way so i have always kept myself wide open to helping people who have needs for advice for information and so on and i have been giving widely and getting widely and the more i give the more i get it seems it seems I, it doesn't the, the, the same people are not involved uh it's not like you give me something i give you something i you give me something and i give someone else something and in a sense i'm thanking you uh for the help you gave me and i'm blessing you for it and passing on your blessings to someone else yeah i think this is such a wonderful uh, uh combination of ancient wisdom with hard reality practicality where uh in other words one you know talks about what goes around comes around and in our hard nosed practical world of commerce sometimes we just forget that it's ultimately all about people and whether your business succeeds whether your business doesn't succeed 
the end of the day it's about how how uh, how do you involve people how do you keep them away but you know sticking on to this people issue you've also been quite vocal about the fact that while there is talent in india while there are people who are willing to do work but it is the attitude of some of the people who are in a position to uh, of authority that prevents more entrepreneurship in india and since entrepreneurship is the way that has been identified for india to go ahead would you like to share your views on how you know the powers that be can make it easier for entrepreneurship absolutely uh, i i seriously think that we have a huge uh, pro- couple of big problems in india one is we seem to have a whole lot of within quotes educated people who don't have jobs uh, we have to absorb a good 10 to 15 million people a year into the economy uh, as they uh, enter the working age group and we don't seem to be able to create formal jobs for them so most of them get absorbed into some kind of informal economy which is not good for the government or for, for them because uh, there's no there's no sense of uh, career path or professionalism and so on so i that combined with the fact that educational institutes now don't seem to care about the quality of the students so you have very, in a in a sea of unemployed people you have very few people who are actually employable so i i now there are all kinds of educational possibilities for this motivated self motivated for example all these mooc the mooc courses that are available online are you get some of the best teachers in the world who are available to you for free you could train yourself if you are motivated to do so so i in fact when i i have had to train people to work in alcohol because i had no experienced people around so i would hire from the dairy industry and bring them into alcohol because i would see a certain similarity of process of quality control etc and i'd figure help them to translate and then i help them to educate themselves i train them i make them understand what the how the scientific parallels work and so on now the how the government can help is is certainly to make all this educational material more widely available uh, give opportunities scholarships for people to study and so on who are who pass certain basic uh, tests and the other very important thing is that most of the young people i met who uh, want to enter into business are dismayed by the kind of corruption that they have to encounter at at the ground level just to get something started is virtually impossible without paying bribes now i have done it the hard way because i was i was a person of independent means by the time i started uh, working in india in the us i didn't have that problem because it was a software company now software companies typically have less problems than brick and mortar companies or companies like i have started where i started a craft distillery in a rural area of andhra pradesh a greenfield kind of thing Uh, i had to encounter incredible uh, obstruction from authorities across the board on every little point i mean most people would have given up and i had several points where i was like thinking what a fool i am to have dived into this very strange area which people have warned me about which is full of corrupt practices and uh, is associated with pollution because i want to do anything i do i want to do excellently i want to make a model of whatever it is that i'm involved in i wanted to make a model industry i've actually succeeded but not without losing a lot of hair and uh, without having some really you know severe physical consequences of of the stress involved because 
I'd find myself waiting and waiting and waiting because I, I refused to accept any kind of suggestion that I should be facilitating or greasing my way through. I, uh, at, at my personal cost, at, at a cost to my health and my mental well, well-being. I think most young people are dismayed by that. And if they are not dismayed, they, they come from families where the, it's known that to get things done, you have to grease your way through. So they accept it as just par for the course. This is the standard operating procedure to start a business or to do something in business in India, which I think is dismaying. For There's a whole lot of people like me who don't come from business families, but who have ideas, who have, have energy, have some entrepreneurship in them just by chance, maybe. I don't know. I mean, there's probably a, at least a million or two million or 10 million such people like me around who would not do things or who would stop doing things if they felt that they had to do this because it's they don't have the means, first of all, maybe they don't have the, the kind of connections. And me with all my connections, my cloud of helpfulness, network, and so on, I felt the pressure. So I can imagine what other people feel. So how can we do this is, you know, there should it's literally that uh, there should be people who handhold folks through these official channels. If I had someone say in the state of Andhra Pradesh who said, I will go, I mean, the, the government can set the, if it's really interested in offering employment, getting entrepreneurs going who can hire 50, 100 people like me, they could solve the employment problem in the country because you need to unleash just a million entrepreneurs or 10 million entrepreneurs who hire 50 to 100 people and you who start industries in various fields, who, who start agricultural stuff, food related, any number of areas. And uh, if we could be handheld through this via a serious effort by the government to help solve its own problem of employment while uh, making the, you know, taking the country forward, it would be a huge help. I, uh, I, I see these efforts to have single window, uh, you know, approaches in various states, but typically those single window things are so poorly thought out, they're so badly managed that you end up running around like anybody else, even though you put everything to one window, you have to ultimately end up at 20 different windows. I think it's a lot of, uh, a lot of it is just eyewash. You know, your thoughts make a lot of sense. But uh, one of the reasons why maybe you would have encountered a whole lot of corruption is also because the kind of business that you're in. Alcohol, typically in India at least, has been associated with an image of a corrupt businessman. The Bollywood movies haven't helped the cause. So when you, an IIT graduate coming from software background, decided to get into alcohol, uh, what were some of the reactions of your friends, of your family? Because this is an industry which is, you know, not within courts for, you know, that's, our kind of people. That's right. So I would never have gotten into alcohol if I was going to be just one more alcohol producer in India. For me, everything I do has to have an innovative quality to it. So I could explain it to myself uh, and justify my own interest and activities by virtue of the fact that I was innovating with all my products, whether it was agave or the cane or the orange liqueurs or now mahua. Uh, everywhere I am trying to see if uh, I can innovate. If I can't innovate, I don't get involved. For example, people ask me why I don't do gin because I believe gin is so easy. It's got a very low barrier to entry. I take on the tough stuff. I'm interested in solving tough problems. I've always been that way because the easy stuff can be done by anybody else. And I, for me, it's not of great interest. Now, 
I was warned getting into alcohol by some of the veterans in the field. They were like, "You are you are the wrong person for this field because you seem to be, you know, believe in integrity and honesty and you you're anti-corruption and so on and so forth." So I think you're 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 going to mess up your life. And to some extent, they were right. But then I persevered. I wanted to show that despite all these obstacles, I could still create a model company, which I have managed to do now. And I think it has begun to impress quite a few youngsters. at least in the field of alcohol who con- connect with me every week or other week and ask for advice or ask for guidance which i which i readily give i readily give yeah. uh, i i i think you can still win the battles if you got a great amount of perseverance and you uh, you know you literally i mean i literally have sat down in front of various babus who tell me to wait and meet after office hours and i tell them no this is official business i do it during office hours and i take a book and i read that book and i, I make sure it's a very thick book so i'll say i'll wait here until you're done uh you know i that, that shows a certain kind of uh, obstinacy stubbornness because I, when they hint for bribes by saying this has to be facilitated i pretend not to understand what they're talking about and yeah. i keep saying uh, i mean it's it's really sheer bullheadedness that has gotten me to this point here in india and i can see why it will be a huge i mean you know it will scare most people away you really have to be brave and persevering in order to be in business in india i mean it's a shame because the solution to the employment problem lies in unleashing a million entrepreneurs and the government keeps talking paying lip, lip service to it whereas they could actually have empowered government appointed people who handhold people who do not come from these backgrounds through this process without having to pay bribes without having to you know get uh, shamed by uh, officials who just insist it's their birthright to get bribes yeah so i hope that there are some of the right people who are listening to you um, and i do hope that they take cognizance of what you're saying but coming back to the business that you started with agave Tequila is a uh, uh, heritage mark, is it? Because uh, to Mexico, and therefore you couldn't call it tequila, even though the the you know it is a tequila tequila. Uh, so uh, can you just take us through that journey and also how you uh, uh, how now you are launching Mahua, which is typically an Indian uh, drink made out of flowers, which you said is the first of its kind uh, in the world. where an alcohol drink is made out of natural flowers that's correct uh, so with with the tequila thing uh, it was as a, as you uh, rightly said a hist- i mean it was a historical accident that i landed up and because of my background as a child traveling through india connecting the dots uh, with my experience in the us and my general interest and you know having uh, figured out that i want to make an agave spirit the name of the company is in fact based on that agave india uh, i I fully respect intellectual property uh, of all kinds because I am a creator of intellectual property, whether it's in film or in software, and now in alcohol. I respect other countries, other cultures. Now, you know, even my investors were saying, "You." I had a difficult time getting investors because they thought, "Oh, you're making tequila," and I said, "No, I'm making Indian agave spirit." It's in the same family as tequila in terms of the plant of origin. but i am making indian agave in fact uh, my persistence with this led to eventually now are exporting agave to countries 
uh, in Europe and the U.S. We are selling our products in the U.S., our agave products. And the reason it's selling is because it's Indian agave. If I had tried, let's assume that I had fraudulently and called it tequila. I, uh, I, I think it would, have, it would have little or no interest in the U.S. It's because of its Indian origin and the in- uniqueness of the Indian plant, which derived, of course, from plants that came across on the Colombian exchange in the past 300 years, that that we have now a cachet that people are interested in the agave product. So I have respected Mexico's tequila trademark. I, But in order to connect what I am doing to the tequila product, I, I developed a simple descriptive, uh, let's say, argument, which says tequila and mezcal are... GI, GI, GI stands for geographical indicator, GI protected products belonging to Mexico. And they belong to this family of international agave spirits. What I make, my Indian agave spirits belongs to that family too. That family of international agave spirits, since agave now grows around the world, right? So that was my argument uh, of my way of respecting the Mexican GI or trademark, international trademark. In fact, if you look at my website, we say that all over the place about Mexico uh, owning the GI for tequila and mezcal. And even there's a little video on my website, we start off with that. So we pay our homage and then we proceed. Uh, Now with the Mahua, it's a very different story because Mahua, the Mahua tree grows mainly or 95%. I mean, I can say with 95% confidence uh, uh, Mahua grows only in India. There may be a few scattered trees here and there, but uh, the unique uh, nature of the Indian form, Central Indian forests has allowed Mahua to proliferate. And it, because of the fact that it gives you this naturally sweet flower, which has been the, the uh, basis for food and drink for India's indigenous people for centuries. Some There are some, even some references that go back you know, a couple of thousand years that people say uh, are related to Mahua, but I'm not convinced. But there's no reason for something as obvious as a Mahua flower, which when it falls off a tree is full of nectar and which birds and animals seem to love. Uh, and that, that tribal peoples wouldn't have discovered that. And then they naturally start drying in the sun. And then you can, anybody trying trying out the dried Mahua flowers as a foodstuff would have seen that it's sweet, it's nutritious, uh, it, in fact, is delightful. It, I, I, and it's one of the, the basis for my trying to now figure out how to up the game for tribal people and to have them uh, pro- hygienically collect, dry, and sell mawa flowers to the world uh, for as a food. In addition to its use as a basis for the world's only distilled spirit, which is made from a naturally sweet flower, which immediately gives it a uniqueness because it's a one-off in a category of one. There are no other naturally sweet flowers uh, that are so widely available in the world. It's unique to India. It's unique to our Indian uh, tribal people, the indigenous people of India. And we can make a lot out of it and to their benefit. It needn't be only entrepreneurs like me who are showing the way and are willing to work with tribal people to improve their lot to work with them on taking their heritage places, taking it to the world, offering it to the world. So I think Mawa is going to be a no-brainer in terms of becoming India's national spirit in the long run. If, if people continue to support me like they've begun to show signs 
that the government, the TriFed, the Department of Industrial Promotion and Internal Trade is also now supporting us. Various state governments are accepting my product as an official product, most recently Karnataka, in addition to Goa and Andhra Pradesh. So I am making headway by virtue of tapping into this whole make in India, but do something for the tribal, unique cultural product that is, uh, of India, Maua. I wanted to be, uh, get a GI eventually to do. I will help in the process of writing the GI application, but we need a few more official producers. It could be tribal people or otherwise before we can apply for a GI on behalf of India. And I'm, ta- I'm willing to take it all the way. Yeah. So uh, sounds like you've got another tough problem to solve. And, uh, you know, to end it all, I can just say cheers to that. And uh, let's raise a toast to you, your journey, and the success of uh, Mahua. So it's been a pleasure, Desmond, talking to you. And thank you for your time. My pleasure, Sonu. I I hope this story will get out to the world in time and uh, will inspire a lot more people to do wonderful things, not just for India, but for all the developing parts of the world. Yes. So cheers to that. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. The Inheritors podcast series by Bloomberg Quint. Filter coffee is a fascinating beverage. You need to pick the right beans, blend them in the right proportion, roast them to perfection, and slow brew at the right temperature to get the perfect cup. Which is exactly like great conversations as well. You need to track down the most interesting minds, get them into their zone, and settle down for an unhurried, unscripted chat. And coffee for me is always, always, always best enjoyed with friends. I'm Karthik Nagarajan, and do share my table as I meet some of the most interesting people I know and sit them down for a strong cup of coffee and an even stronger conversation. Join me every Wednesday for a freshly brewed episode. This is not Frappe. This is the Filter Coffee Podcast. Filter Coffee.